Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I'm Angela. Today's episode is really special to me because it takes place with my very best friend, Alyssa Linker. So Alyssa and I grew up together. We met when we were three years old, and she has spent the past two decades praying for my salvation. And so in this episode, we talk about that stark contrast in our upbringing, her Christian background versus my secular background, and how that nuclear family unit with the biblical foundation truly is a necessity in this dysfunctional world when it comes to being in a marriage and raising a family. We talk about the toxicity of feminism and why we should focus on femininity over the feminism culture. With that leads into a topic about abortion and all about marriage. So this episode is my longest yet. It's packed with a lot of stuff. We go all over the place. So definitely give this another listen. And we really hope that you enjoy the episode and that you aren't afraid to speak the truth, even if that means offending somebody. We all have to stand firm on the gospel, on the word of the Lord, before we get worried about hurting people's feelings, okay? Because true love tells the truth. And the most loving thing that you can do for somebody is to spread the good news of the gospel. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I'm here today with my best friend in the world, Alyssa. So Alyssa and I actually have known each other since we were about two or three years old. We've known each other so long that I don't even remember meeting her. Um, So this is a really special episode for me personally, because a lot of you have heard me talk about her before. She's the one that's been praying for me for two decades now. Um, basically our entire lives as we're now both 28 and um, yeah, we have a lot of history and we both grew up very different. Although we grew up together because she grew up in a traditional Christian household where I grew up with a lot of love, but no Christianity. And so in hindsight, and we'll talk a little bit about this in the episode to kind of see how both of our lives played out and the differences within that, just based on the foundation of Christianity or lack thereof is really interesting. And it's really actually crucial to the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, But before we get into that, I'm going to pass it over to Alyssa. So Alyssa, if you could just tell the audience who you are and how you came to know Christ. Yeah. So as Angela said, I have, oh my gosh, we've been best friends literally since preschool. I kind of have like vague memories of how we met, but they're Oh gosh, it was so long ago. Um, So yeah, my name is Alyssa. Um, I have been a Christian pretty much all my life, uh, ever since I was able to really comprehend what Christ or really who Christ uh, was and what he meant to me and how he impacted my life. Uh, That's, you know, kind of how that went. Um, And I mean, I was very, very blessed to grow up in a Christian household. And I really had a community of people around me um, who were showing me the way, who were guiding me um, in just how to live for Christ. You know, like my mom, my dad, two incredible spiritual leaders, um, my aunt, my uncle, my grandma, my grandpa, um, our church family at the time. 
you know, all of these people, they were like the village that raised me and they helped instill all of these values in me that I carried throughout my entire life that really just gave me that solid foundation for me to just continue to grow and grow and grow. You know, like I've been a Christian my whole life. And I like, I know Angela has joked about me being this like eldritch Christian being because I've been a Christian for forever, but no, like I'm still a baby. Like I'm still learning. And it's that foundation that I had early on in my life that really, it brought me to where I am now. So that's, uh, that's my testimony really. So before we got on the podcast today, I kind of asked you about this, but it's honestly something I, I never even thought of until today. And I wanted to ask you this because it is interesting for me to talk to people who have always been Christian, because as you know, a lot of my connections these days have been through people with similar stories to mine who have gone through a total 180 and come to Christ in that element. But I was curious for you, you know, um, is there, was there like a defining moment? Because obviously we go from children who just sort of go along with what our parents are doing and we grow up in the family and we understand things as our parents understand them. And we accept things as our parents accept them sort of thing. And then as we get older, we start to have our own opinions, our own voice. And we go through maybe like a, a rebellion phase of like defying the parent. Um, so was there a point for you because looking back, I personally can't remember this or I, I wasn't looking for it, I guess. Um, was there a moment for you where you kind of started to rebel against like the Christianity formula? Um, and if so, was there also a moment where you realized within yourself, like, oh, what I grew up with as actually it, like I'm, yeah. I fully accept Christ. That's, that's an interesting question for someone like me who has been a Christian for so long, because everybody, no matter how long you've been a Christian, everybody goes through seasons of rebellion. It, it just, we are human, you know, you literally can't avoid it. Um, I can't say that I've ever had a time in my life where I have stepped away from my faith, but I can pinpoint different times in my life where I've certainly done some backsliding. Um, I know, I, you know, times in my life where I just, I had fallen prey to certain sin and, you know, as everybody does and, um, you know, that, that damages your relationship with Christ, you know, like it's, it breaks his heart to see that happen. Um, but then I think if I had to look back on it, um, the moment that it really became real, and I mean like real in the sense that um, it caused me to think about what I believed and why, um, I would say that that would be my first semester of college. Uh, because it was at that point that I was taken out of my, um, we'll call it a Christian bubble, you know, like I grew up going to church. I went to Christian high school. I went to Christian middle school, you know, like I went, I was constantly, constantly surrounded by people who were affirming my own beliefs, who all believed the same thing that I did, which was, that's not a bad thing, but it wasn't until that first semester of college that I actually had my faith tested. And when you have your faith tested, that's when it becomes super real for you. That's when you start to ask yourself questions 
that you never found yourself asking before. That's really when you get into the apologetics of Christianity. You know, you're defending your faith. And so I would say that was the time where it really, it was like rubber met the road. Like, here's, I'm a Christian. Here's why. How do I defend that? And also, why do I believe the things that I believe? And so the only way to do that, the only way to figure those things out is to really delve deeply into the word of God. I mean, like on a level that I really hadn't before. Um, And ever since then, you know, that was, that was what I've been doing. Like I've had this Bible like forever and it is beat because I use it all the time. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, but that does make a lot of sense. So on that note, us um, both growing up in totally different lifestyles, um, households, I wanted to touch on that because I've been thinking a lot about, and I've told this to you in in private, but I, I've, I've thought a lot about recently since I've come to Christ about how we were raised so differently Um, but both of our parents, like my mom and my audience doesn't know already single mom. Um, my mom, you know, I had so much love that I, you know, so much, I didn't know what to do with growing up. And you know, that I had my grandmom who just loved me, adored me. And she was great for me. And so I had this, I had like a really solid unit of love and support and, it was great. Like I had a great childhood and I tell you this all the time, but now that I see how our lives have played out, like in the, in the macro, I recognize the gaps growing up for me where I did not have, like I had, I had a house, but it wasn't like built on a foundation. And then I see the way you turned out. And I, and I use this as, as an example for my audience to know, okay, Alyssa's like where Alyssa's at in life is where I want to be in life right now. And where I think a lot of women honest to God want to be in life right now. And a lot of that comes from the way she was raised because she was raised on the foundation of Christ. Whereas myself, I was raised on the foundation of love 100%, but there was no God component to that. I was not raised on the standards of the Bible. I was not raised to follow the Bible. I was, I was taught by a woman who essentially didn't know better than she knew. And that's really all any of us humans are. We're just people that don't know better than we know. And that's why we need God. That's why we need the structure of the Bible. And there have been times of growing up where Alyssa and I have certainly like gotten to points where it could have been like a make or break moment. Um, and that ultimately comes down to the differences in our, at the time, belief systems, how we were raised, what I felt was a value versus what she felt was a value. Um, so I'm going to let you talk about that for a minute, Liz. Could you kind of share with the audience, maybe, um, things that you noticed growing up or, or notice in hindsight about the way we grew up? how, how you were Christian and how I wasn't and how that did make an actual significant difference. Yeah. So, 
Wow. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, I mean, aside from the fact that I was raised um, with a biblical foundation, um, I was also raised in a home with a nuclear family, which is kind of rare nowadays. Like it was kind of rare back then. Now it's like super rare, you know, to have a mother and a father in the home who are in complete lockstep with each other in terms of what values they're instilling in their children, um, what worldview uh, they operate in as far as raising children, you know? Um, So I've, gosh, I'll start out, I guess, with um, biblical womanhood because that was something that was, that was instilled in me at a very, very young age. And um, it's something that's carried me through life and gotten me where I am today. And it's something that is vehemently railed against in our modern society, because what is biblical womanhood? Well, to the modern, uh, to the modern woman, um, it looks terrible. Like there's, you know, a whole bunch about it that, you know, it doesn't suit the ego. It, um, there's a lot of, uh, it's humbling. It can be humbling. And so, you know, it's, it's like, you know, what, what is biblical womanhood look like? You know, it's, I've got so many verses here to even, I I actually ran out of sticky notes. So (laughs) I had everything marked and then I was like, wow, I ran out of sticky notes. Um, But like biblical womanhood is not only putting God first, um, you know, there's an order of operations. It's, you know, God, your husband and your kids. And so a lot of people like modern feminism likes to tell you that, um, you know, it's all about the self. Like, it's just, it's all self, but like, you know, you read these verses in the Bible, particular Proverbs 31 jumps out at me. I mean, like, it's literally what it's like 30 verses that talk about, you know, what a good woman looks like. Um, and it's a woman who she honors her husband. She cares for her household. You know, she is, she's humble. She's gracious. She is giving. She is I mean, she is just, the Bible describes her as more precious than jewels, you know? Um, And a lot of that requires some sacrifice, you know? Like, biblical womanhood doesn't call us to go and sleep around, you know? It doesn't call us to, uh, you know, live for ourselves or anything like that, you know? It's, um, there's a lot of self-control that's involved in that. And which doesn't make sense to a lot of people because again, you know, we live in a society where it's like, you know, go out and like, do you do what feels good. Um, sleep with whoever, do whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I wasn't raised that way. My mom was like real, my mom and my dad for sure. Uh, but in, in this instance, you know, I'll, I'll use my mom as an example, you know, she, was totally real with me about all of this stuff. You know, she didn't beat around the bush with anything. She told me how it was. She was like, 
you don't want to be living this way. And here's why. And not only will these be the consequences, like here's the biblical, you know, here's what's biblical that I can point to, to teach you. And so that was invaluable. And not only that, you know, and I have a father who never shied away from giving me hard truths, never speaking hard truths into my life, you know, about how the world really is, you know, how certain actions will affect you, um, how you can absolutely find yourself on the path to self-destruction. Here's how you get there. Here's how you avoid that, that sort of thing. Like, you know what I'm talking about? So I would say that, you know, the two key, oh gosh, the two keys to success in life, having a nuclear family, but also having a nuclear family that wants to help raise kids with a biblical foundation. I 100% agree. And, you know, when we were little and in our, like our teenage years, I would think sometimes like your parents were too strict or they were too this or that. Um, but it's like, again, it's always in hindsight. I, they weren't, (laughs) they were, they were loving and they were loving by actually drawing boundaries around you because you were at an age where you were not able to draw boundaries around yourself. Wow. Kids aren't, they can't be left to their own devices. The worst thing that you can do to a child is to deny them boundaries. Like, I can't remember who it was. I I think it was, um, I think it was Dr. Jordan Peterson who said this, and it was something along the lines of to give a child a life without boundaries is basically throw them into the ocean without a life raft. They will flounder. And I saw that in my own life. You know, like I had my parents set hard boundaries for me. And yeah, you know, like when I was a kid, I'd be pissed about it. But like, when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that I could have ended up in a million different bad situations. But because my parents were able to be there to set those hard boundaries for me, you know, I I didn't fall into destruction. That's the ultimate goal of a parent is to prevent your children from falling into destruction. Mm-hmm. And your parents did a really great job at that. And my mom listens to this. So I want to like emphasize that <laughs> like you didn't do a bad job, mom. It's not about that. It's not, it, it, I'm not here to say like my mom did a bad job or that I wasn't, I'm not pleased with how I was raised because the, you know, ultimately everything led me here and I'm grateful and that is what it is. And we can't undo the past. It's just, it's helpful to see this stark contrast of the disorder in my life and the order of yours, because yes, now I've come to Christ, but I'm still only seven months in. And your dad is the one that put this for me in such a profound way where he is the one that said, you know, we humans spend a really long time junking up our house. And then what happens when we come to God is that the Lord comes in and he cleans, he cleans house. He cleans out the junk And so I'm in that process. I'm still in the sanctification process of the Lord coming in and cleaning out all the junk in my house that I've spent 28 years accumulating by being disobedient, even though it was unknowingly. And with you, there's less junk to clear because 
of how you were raised. And that's why I keep coming back to that because I want to just share with the audience the importance of a nuclear family. And that's not even the entire premise of this episode, but it, it, it all, it all correlates because we are talking heavily about feminism with this episode, but it all correlates as one, because when you destroy the biblical concept of womanhood, you inevitably destroy the nuclear family. So we have to get back to this, to this feminism issue because it is so prominent in our culture. So um, just like as a little disclaimer, I just wanted to pop in, mention that, that I'm not, it's not like I'm in a bad place in my life. It's not any of it, not any of that. Like there is no, there's no ill feelings towards the way I was raised or any of that. It's just, there is a stark contrast there is a difference between my life and Alyssa's lives and how we were, we both turned out. Although we were raised side by side, they were two very separate paths. And now they are finally kind of on the same path because now I am in Christ as well. But the road to get here was very messy. And there's a lot of obstacles for me to clear up along the way still as I go. And so I just wanted to emphasize that, that this nuclear family it's not patriarchal. It's not oppressive. It's no. necessary. The, the concept of freedom, um, you know, the greatest freedom comes with boundary. You know, it's true. How do I explain this? It's like, you know, people have this idea of freedom where it's like, you know, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want with whoever, you know, it's, it's like a gigantic moral free for all. And, but what does that lead to? You know, like when you have freedom in that sense, you know, you hurt yourself, you hurt other people, you know, true freedom has boundary and it's, there are so many examples of, of how that plays out in our, you know, in our society. It's, it's crazy. Um, the one thing, I mean, feminism coming to mind since feminism is what we're really going to be discussing today. Um, this idea of like living for yourself, like girl power, all of that stuff, you know, women have been lied to. They have been so, women have been played big time because what did feminism ulti ultimately achieve? You know, like, yeah, we have some good things here and there. Like we can vote. Cool. That's nice. Um, but now we're all slaves to careers. Um, our government decided that now an entire uh, swath of people can now enter the workforce. And so now they just get more tax dollars out of us and wages have stagnated because there's just an overabundance of people in the workforce. Um, so there's that. Uh, and they encourage us to just kind of do away with the nuclear family. Like women end up being just like these slaves to their careers. And they think that that's freedom. They think that that's, you know, like peak life. And it's like, what does that leave you with? You know, it's hard for women who have these, you know, they, they become so obsessed with their careers. They're told that they can do it all. You know, like you're supposed to be in the society as a woman, you're supposed to have your career, have your family, have your husband, have your kids. Right. And 
that's a whole lot. You know, we're told that we can just, we can do it all. Um, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. You know, we grew up like putting Lisa Frank stickers on our faces that said like girl power and crap like that. Like it just, it was everywhere. We were inundated with it. But what does that look like now? You know, um, biblical womanhood calls us to put our families and our husbands first, but all everything has been flipped up on its head. And now we put careers first. We put everything else first. And so for the woman who is convinced that she has to do it all, you know, what does that leave her with at the end of the day for her family? She goes out and she works for eight hours a day, sometimes more because in this society, uh, women more often than not are forced to work because things are expensive and inflation is through the roof. And that's been happening for a while, but that's an economic discussion for another time. Um, you know, they come home and they, all they have left to give um, is a fraction of what they should be giving. You know, the world outside, it takes, it takes, it takes, it takes. And children are left uh, more often than not in daycares being raised by other people. Um, husbands are kind of just left feeling like, their place in the world is off because women have decided that it's their role to take that role and everything's just all out of whack. And, you know, I know in your other podcasts, you've touched on this before and it's very important that there is an order of operations to things, you know, there's a divine order and it works and it's God's order. And he knows what the recipe to success is to come to have families stay together and we've just decided arbitrarily that we're going to kind of do away with that and look at what's happened now. Now the divorce rate is at 50%. That's a lot of people. That's huge. Uh, fatherlessness is through the roof. Like, I don't know if you've ever looked up the statistics on like fatherlessness in the home and, and you know, the things that that leads to, but it's tragic. It's like millions of kids find themselves in single family households and it doubles, uh, it doubles the, um, the rate at which they find themselves committing crimes. It increases the rate of teen pregnancy. It increases the rate of poverty. It like the list just goes on and on and on. And we have these issues in society and we like sit here and we go, wow, how did that happen? And it's like, the answer's right in front of us. Like, this is where it all went wrong. And this is how we fix it. It's as simple as that. You touched on so many good points. And for those just listening, when she said, this is how we fix it, she held up her Bible and she is correct. I, what you were talking about with the how women are told that you can do it all you can have it all i was thinking about my mom because that's exactly what happened to her when she found out she was pregnant with me she she didn't know where to go or what to do and not having god not having that foundation of christianity you know she had the backwash catholicism from my grandparents but she didn't want any parts of that yeah i you know she was when she found out she was pregnant with me, she made it a point to pull up her bootstraps, go back to school, start a career because that's what she was told by the secular world. 
is what would be the best for me, the best for her. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it was always, it was always work, 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 you know, empowered woman. So I grew up with, with the empowered woman. I grew up with that all throughout my house, just all the time. And that leads, like you said, to destruction. And I see that with myself. I see that with my mom, because even my mom said to me a couple of weeks ago, we were out um, just um, shopping for shoes actually. And she <laughs> She said to me, because I was talking about how there are so many girls lists at my at my new job that these are young women. Like, think back to when you and I were 18 and how we acted and, and, and still behaved. You know, we were for those for those new new here, this is not Alyssa and I's first rodeo recording together because we used to make ridiculous videos on the internet. Um, and we were doing these kinds of things at 18, whereas the girls I see now that are 18, they're not making silly videos online and dressing silly. They are wearing quote unquote, this is my club dress is what one of my 18 year old coworkers said to me. I see these girls and their destruction. I was talking to my mom about this and my mom said to me, cause I, it was all about their looks. And I said, they're obsessed with their looks and this, this, that. And it's really sad to see. And my mom said, Look where, look where all of that got me, Ange. Look where all that got me. Because my mom was, you know, has always is a very attractive woman, has always been, and she's always used that to her advantage. Like it's the, the clout of like being the attractive woman, which I inevitably took on for myself and wanted the same things. And it's led to a lot of destruction, as you know, with my eating disorder and all that stuff. But my mom said, look where look where it got me. And the truth is, where did it get her? It, it got her. In, you know, there's a lot of confusion within her, within her marriage. There's a lot of confusion within the status where she lives and, and her job. It's just there, there's, there's, it didn't get her anywhere is what she was saying. And the same goes for her career. You know, she has the status, she has the, she has the, the money, the, the retirement and the safety net and the security, which are all things that are important to have, but it's still all perishable. And that's what this, the whole feminism thing is. It's all it's all grabby hands for the perishable. Ah. And it's like you said, we have, we have stuff like from the feminist movement, there have been positives. Like, yeah, like you said, we can vote and we have equal pay and equal opportunity in the marketplace, but like, how's your dignity? (laughs) How's Ah. your, how's your virtue? Um, And women just being used sexually, like never before, you know, it's, that's what the feminism movement has become about. Really. It's, it's not even like you said, it's like, Oh, we got to have it all. It's only if you want to, you know, there's more of a push to like be sexually empowered than there is to be in the family. So do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Just kind of what the feminism movement has turned into. So um, just for a little context, uh, I grew up with a mom who was a stay home mom. Uh, So that's, you know, I had a really solid, example of how that looks in the home you know and my parents still to this day very much together madly in love with each other so there's that um but my mom my mom raised she raised two kids it was just it was me and my brother and that is hard raising kids is no joke like feminism will, it's funny, you know, the hypocrisy of feminism, they'll like, you know, they'll tell you that, well, you can be whatever you want to be. 
basically until you decide that you want to be a mom, you know, you want to take on the job because it is a job and it is the hardest job and it is the most important job, job of raising functional human beings. Okay. We are messy. Human beings are so messy. And as a mom, it's your job to make sure that those kids are functional. And it's crazy how, you know, that is just, that is so belittled. It is so belittled. And yet you'll find funny enough that in families where you have, where it is a nuclear family with a mother at home who has all the time to devote to her kids and to her husband, to maintaining her home, um, for caring for the needs of her family, those kids end up healthy, they end mentally and physically successful, not impoverished, you know, all of these, all of these net benefits to this system. And yet, you know, feminism's like, nah, sorry, you know, like that's not cool and it's not empowered. You know, I'm gonna go my career and you know my cat's my child and my pit bull's my child you know that sort of thing and it's just it's it's so selfish and you know you you touched on something else too um you know this whole idea now that like the feminist movement is all about uh sexual gratification you know these kids nowadays when you and i were 18 we were still weird okay we were still awkward we were still like coming into our own we were still kids you know like we weren't i see kids like 14 year old girls and up like who have just they have grown they've grown up too fast it's disturbing honestly like these young girls are now on social media um just kind of counting down the days until they can get their OnlyFans account. Like it's, it's messed up. And a lot of that has to do with a lack of God in their lives and a lack of fathers in their lives. Because I can tell you right now that if I ever tried to pull any kind of crap like that, my dad would have, my dad would have lost his shit. <laughs> like, but that's the, that's the role of a father to have somebody to guide you. And as women, we are very emotional creatures. All right. Like we have so much, we have, so we're up against so much, you know, not only are we very emotional, we're also very prone to being, um, preyed on, you know, at, by other men, by even other women who will try to appeal to your emotions, um, and tell you that you need to look a certain way and be a certain way. Um, and fit in like this and fit in like that. And all of these young girls, they feel so much pressure to fit in, to feel beautiful, to feel like, um, you know, like they are wanted and worthy. And, you know, they find their identity in that as opposed to finding their identity in, in Christ, in, in what God's in what God calls us to be, you know, and it's just, it's really tragic. It really is because I, I think about all of the young girls out there who have been 
you know, put on birth control at such a young age, you know, like we could go into that and it's a horrible and heartbreaking conversation to think about all of the young girls who have just been lied to about that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, feminism is just, it's, it's done so much harm. It really has. It really is like a, it's a sickness in this disease and it's, um, it's back, it's backwards. It's backwards um, because you hear all the time from feminists, you know, the Bible is oppressive. Christianity is oppressive. Traditional Christianity is oppressive. That word oppressive. And, you know, I don't want anything to do with your God that oppresses me. So before we get into kind of the issues with the secular world and the secular movement, could you kind of start by debunking the biblical myths of that, that dialogue, that oppressive narrative? Oh oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's one you'll, you'll hear that a lot from feminists who are like, you know, like, oh, you, you fundamental Christian conservatives, like you guys just hate women and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, the Bible does nothing but subjugate women. And it's like, Actually, though, if you read the Bible, which most of these people haven't, um, you'll find the complete and utter opposite. The Bible has nothing but love for women, and it outlines how men are supposed to treat women. You know, it's it's all over the place. It's like I have my notes here and, um, you know, like I've got everything from the old Testament to the new Testament, you know, like Ephesians five twenty five comes to mind, you know, where men are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so what does that look like? What did Christ do for the church? You know? And when I say the church, I mean, his people, his body, the body of Christ, we are the church as believers. You know, what did he do? Well, he freaking sacrificed himself on a cross So if that's not love, I don't know what is. And if men are called to love their wives in that way, if Christ himself calls men to love their wives in that way, there is no, there's no room for oppression that doesn't exist in this model, this, and, you know, it just doesn't exist, you know? Three seven calls husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way, you know, love them, cherish them. And, you know, do not be harsh with them. You know, all of these things I've got, where's the one it's like my favorite. Give me a moment to just sort of flip through my Bible and look for it real quick. As you do that, I have a couple of those written down too, you know, um, I have like Genesis 2 verses 20 to 24, Proverbs 19, 14. And um, it, it all highlights women. And by the way, the, these verses that we mentioned, they'll all be in the show notes that you can look at later. Um, they all mention, you know, women and wives that are seen as venerated partners, you know, not anything less than their, their husband. They are equal partners and they are cherished companions to their husbands and they're, they're not seen as merely slaves or pieces of furniture. And 
I wanted to really quick compare that to ancient paganism because I I know some about that too. Where if you you know you look at the the mythology like Greek for example with you would think that with their like goddess worship that this was actually the true um, face of what it means to liberate a woman as opposed to Christianity. But the thing is with those kinds of, with those deities and those, those worship um, temples, a lot of those were actually um, like served by sacred prostitutes. So prostitutes were the ones that were like kind of, serving these, these organizations. And that led to ceremonies that included things like erotic fertility and like orgies and perversion and even human sacrifice. And like, that is actually oppressive. And that paganism, that is what ultimately like Western culture branched into. And so it's totally backwards. It's not, and this isn't like a conversation about paganism versus Christianity, but it just goes to show that this the narrative of the bible being oppressive is could not be more false it is inherently false and like you said a lot of these people haven't read the bible that's another thing that feminism has actually bred is this lack of reasoning this lack of knowledge this lack of sense where somebody can't even pick up their a bible and take maybe an hour or two to skim through it and you would find in that hour or two that wow this does actually exalt women but people don't do that people don't do that with anything they don't look at facts they don't look at statistics they don't look at data they won't read the bible and that comes from feminism as well it's a direct result of that kind of entitlement selfish feeling based mindset that ideology and you know what like like i said google's free you know like there's you can you can look all of this stuff up but people won't because they want to just be mad and um you know like one of the things that they like to talk about um or you know try to roast christians on is oh you know like if you're a christian and you're a woman you know like your lot in life is basically to just be an incubator for kids and no, first of all, no, that's not true at all. And, I'll, you know, I'm going to go back to Proverbs 31 because it's incredible. Um, and I, I won't read the entire thing, but I really would encourage anybody, any woman, um, you know, who has any doubts, who's listening, um, who wants to know what, it, what biblical womanhood really looks like, you know, to read Proverbs 31, uh, starting at verse 10 and ending at verse 31, you know, it starts out, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. So right there, you've got the Bible telling you, women are precious. We are to be cherished. You know, our worth is like far beyond any earthly or material thing. Um, And it goes on to say that the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And it goes on in verse 13, all the way down to describe how she honors her husband and honors her family and works. You know, that's another thing that they like to tell you is that like, oh, you Christian women, like you're just you're stuck in your houses and you can't do anything. You just have to be incubators for kids, but that's not true. And it goes on to talk about how she works in the home. She honors her house and her household, her husband 
also by having a job, you know, she does all of these things to make money for her household. So again, you know, the whole point is that there has to be a balance that has to be struck. You know, a woman has to put her family and her husband and her children first. That's not to say that she's just limited. Just a really quick pause in this episode to remind you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to watch and to please give it a five-star rating and written review to help spread the good news and get this into more people's ears. Like, you know, people will hear that and say, well, so what? The, the whole point of a woman is just to honor her husband. But going back to what you said before, no, it's there's a, there's a balance. There's you know, husbands are called to honor their wives the way Christ honors the church. Like you just said, so that's sacrificial love. It doesn't get more unconditional than that. So it's not like the Bible is just calling forward this virtue of women. It's calling it forward in men as well. And that seems to be lost on people that want to just insist that the Bible is this patriarchal tool used to completely annihilate women's rights subjugate us like that's that's not it at all it's so sad that people have that idea of the bible because it's just so not accurate at all you know it's really lost on people how how much love husbands are called to give their wives and how much love wives are called to give their husbands it's nothing but it's just it's nothing but love but you know what sometimes love requires some self-sacrifice and so that's what gets people you know that's what turns them off because they want to be slaves to their own ego they don't want to self-sacrifice because what does that mean for them you know that means that maybe sometimes they have to do a hard thing maybe sometimes they have to do something that just kind of grinds just kind of grinds their gears you know and um people just aren't willing to do that Mm -hmm. and you know it's it sucks, but like that's the give and take in any relationship, not even just uh, a marriage. You know, those are friendships. You know, friendships call forth um, the the need to self sacrifice sometimes, or to speak hard truth into somebody's life, or you know, um, or have you know certain standards for one another to keep one another in check. You know, that's. It's it's in it's in every every relationship, you know, in to more or less degrees, depending on the relationship. But all of those things are are ultimately present there. One hundred percent, and that is it's like we talked about in the beginning with boundaries. It's like drawing that line around out of love, um, and that reminds me of uh, like two years ago. Do you remember on Christmas when I posted that picture on Instagram of basically my my entire backside? Just I was like in lingerie, and yeah. this was um, this was the this was a year before I got saved. Actually, that this happened, so I posted this very very um, I don't even know the word for it image um, provocative image. I posted a very provocative image on Instagram as I used to do a lot, and. It was on Christmas, so I thought it was, you know, I had a Santa hat on. I was like, oh, this is cute. I I want to be honest that there was a part of me, and I didn't know where that was coming from. Mm-hmm. I, I assumed that it was just like 
oh, it's like my ancient roots of being oppressed as a woman that wants me not to do this. But actually it was like a, it was like a little Holy spirit nudge that was like, you don't need to post that. I felt weird about it, but I did it. And when I did it, obviously I got so much appraise for it that everyone was like, oh, this is hot. This is that. This is great. Um, you, Alyssa, were the only person that was like, hey, I this isn't cool that you posted this. Like my brother can see this. My fiance, who was your fiance, Matt was your fiance at the time. My fiance can see this. I can see this. Um, and I, I just... I don't think you should be doing this. And I was so mad at you. I was so upset that you were trying to put me in a box and like be this like boring person that you didn't want me to express myself. But the truth is you were being a friend. You were telling me the truth. And I was not willing to receive that truth because it directly um, collided with what I wanted. And that is the biggest thing with feminism. It's what I want. What it, was, it was so hard for me to articulate because you were in a much different place. Um, you know, it, it wasn't about the fact that like, it, or rather it wasn't just about the fact that other people, you know, like my, my, my dad was literally sitting right next to me when that happened. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, so I, <laughs> you know, like it was more like, I was trying to explain to you that your worth was not defined by your body. You know, you're like, you were in a place and that I could see where you were struggling with your, your self image. And my heart broke because I was like, my God, she's so much more than this. She's, she's worth so much more to this this image that you're putting out there is not meant for other people to see because it's not cheap you know and like that's another thing that's really lost on on women you know something that feminism has really encouraged women to do is to put themselves out there in that light you know they'll talk about how they don't want to be objectified by men but they go out and they put themselves out there in a way that they objectify themselves um and they don't realize that what they're putting out there is it's worth something but to give it to everybody is to cheapen it you know it's it's kind of hard i hope i'm explaining that right it like it's something that I, you know, I was always taught, um, something that I know to be true. Um, and some, because the Bible calls that forth in us as women to be, um, to be humble, to be chaste, you know, it tells us here in the Bible that, you know, our, we have worth, we have immense, immense worth. And to just throw that out there, for everybody and anybody, you know, that it, it cheapens it, you know, like I had somebody once ref like kind of give me an analogy of this using like cars and it's, <laughs> it's kind of crude, but it, it's a good analogy. You know, it's like, as soon as you drive a car off the lot, it depreciates in value. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, and then like, once you drive a car for like a few years, um, it's pretty beat, 
So I'm not like, <laughs> again, that's, it's like a, that's a crude um, analogy, but it, it fits, you know, it just, it, it's just kind of a harsh one, you know? So anyway, back to my point, um, you know, we're not defined. Our worth is not our bodies. It's not how we look. Our worth is in, is in Christ. You know, our worth is what makes us children of God, you know, and all of these things, beauty and, you know, these bodies that we have, you know, they're going to, they're going to pass away, you know, they're going to deteriorate all of this. This is all temporary, but our souls are not. And so that's the most important thing about us. It's just so interesting. And I, and I understand it. And it's really, it's really cool for me to be on this side now because I was on the other side of like everything, every, every political issue, cultural issue, <laughs> religious issue, belief mm-hmm. issue, everything. I was on the other side. So I see all of it. And it's just so interesting to me to see in hindsight how I was such a hypocrite and I was so, I think the reason it's hard for us to articulate this is because the, the, the concept in and of itself is paradoxical, right? It's like, empowerment. Don't objectify me, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to objectify myself and call it empowerment. It's, it's so paradoxical that it is hard to, it's hard to explain because it's hard to conceptualize because it doesn't make sense. So how can you make sense of something that doesn't make sense? The, that the actions, the ideologies do not make actual sense because it's, 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 it's like a house of cards, you know, you can't, you can't be out here saying that, you know, you're worthy, you're this, you're that, but that worth is determined on your like count, or that worth is determined on how, you know, your body count, maybe not your like count, but your body count. But then you want to say at the same time, well, my worth actually isn't defined by those things, which is why those things don't matter. And yet you're and- emphasizing their importance. So I just, I, my heart breaks for the feminist movement because there's clearly, it's mass confusion. It's, it's absolute confusion and it's disorder. And how many times can we say it? That disorder comes from not being in God's order. It's actually heartbreaking how confused and lost these women are. And then they'll wag their finger at women like you and I and say, you're wrong. You're the problem. You're this, you're that. And get really nasty and aggressive. And as I used to be and offended, we can't be afraid to be offended. First of all, like that's, that's a huge part of this whole conversation is People are so afraid of being offended or of offending that they won't tell the truth. But the thing about the Bible and why people don't like it and why people will say is that it's oppressive is that it does tell the truth. It tells the truth and people don't like it because you can't be neutral with any of these biblical concepts because they are so radical. So you either got to pick one or the other and you're literally forced to do so. And so people, when it, when it, doesn't coincide with what they're in their feeling state, whatever they want, then they'll just reject it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, 
we have put being offended on a pedestal. Um, we have uh, offending someone has become the greatest crime that you could commit in this society. Um, and it has caused us to absolutely stagnate. We can't have these conversations in, uh, you know, in, in public circles anymore, you know, because people, you know, now at this point, people are beyond just being offended. You know, you've got people who are offended and then they decide to act out on it. Like people can't even control themselves anymore. Like, you know, you'll get verbal abuse. You'll even get, you'll get physical abuse depending on, you know, the environment that you're in. Um, you know, I can't even begin to tell you how many times as a Christian over the years, I've gotten like horrible, horrible, like just, just threats and comments and, and all of these things. Like my favorite one is that I have internalized misogyny because I, I'm a Christian woman. That's, that's always been my, my classic fave. Um, and I'm, I clearly, you know, like I must, I must hate myself and like horrible, horrible things. And it's like, no, dude, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I've always been good. I, but people can't wrap their heads around it because they're so busy trying to fill this void. And this is another thing that you've talked about. You did an entire episode on it, that God-shaped void, that God-shaped hole in everybody's hearts. Everybody's trying to fill it with literally everything but God. They will fill it with sex. They'll fill it with drugs. They'll fill it with alcohol. They'll fill it with, I mean, you name it, you name it. They're trying to, you know, fill that hole with it. And what is it? It's all just stuff that's just arbitrary stuff. You know, it's none of it's based on anything long, long lasting. It's always just a little temporary fix, but that's the very nature of it. You know, you're never going to get that fulfillment with things that are temporary. You're only going to get fulfillment with things that are eternal. And what is eternal? God, God's love. You know, the Bible tells us to fix our eyes, not on the things of this earth, but fix our eyes on things that are above. And that's the only way that we're going to properly navigate this plane of existence that we're on that's crazy with all of these crazy people and with, uh, oh, with an enemy out there, a very, very real enemy out there who wants to see our destruction. You know, he looks at feminism, Satan looks at feminism and he laughs. He's like, ha, gotcha. Because look at everything that it's, look at everything that's come of it. You know, like now we have this abortion issue again, you know, now, now it's like a whole mainstream thing again with the end of Roe v. Wade. Um, and just the, the evil, the evil that I have seen manifest in people with this whole thing that's, that's just taken place is so alarming. It's so alarming. I, you, you know, before we even started this podcast, you had sent me a post on Facebook. Um, what do you remember the wording um, of that post, how it described, uh, you know, children in the womb, something along the lines of like, 
them being, you know, just, just parasitic, you know, equating them to cancer. A parasitic attack on the body. They, they called pregnancy a parasitic attack on the body. That's it. And, um, you know, this is, this is how we've, you know, this is, this is how we've regressed. Basically it's, it's so regressive. It's not even, you know, to now we're at the point where we're viewing, uh, children, viewing lives, uh, viable lives, by the way, uh, as parasites, you know, no better than, than cancer. Um, and Satan's just laughing. He's, he's having a field day with it. Absolutely. Because you want to talk about oppression, excuse me, what is more oppressive than actually devaluing a woman's body to the point of calling the, the extraordinary unique gift of childbearing that we only have as women to devalue that as, as a parasite. You want to talk about being oppressed. What kind of language is that where the, the single most beautiful thing about womanhood is the miracle of life Mm -hmm. as a power. You want to equate that to being a parasite. Yeah much and um i'm pretty sure the only the last time uh we as as people as as human beings have seen such uh you know such disregard for for the lives of children was (laughs) was when like they were sacrificing children to moloch in the bible you know it's like you people don't see what you're doing you know there's there's millions, millions of kids, millions of babies who have been aborted. That's, oh my gosh, to, to think about the lives that could, that could currently be. 60 million. That's it. 60 million. Yeah, 60 million. And, you know, all lost because Why? arbitrary reasons you know you'll hear all sorts of arguments where you know they'll they'll try to argue that well you know like rape incest uh you know the mother's life is in danger you know they'll use like one percent of abortion cases to justify the other like 99 percent of abortions that take place due to the fact that women are just it's there. They just arbitrarily want to get rid of that pregnancy. They just want to terminate it. Why? I don't know. Maybe they don't feel like they make enough money or maybe they just weren't responsible. That's usually how it goes, but those are the, that's how they justify it. And it's, it's horrendous. And you know what, in the spirit of that, I really want to point to two particular instances in the Bible um, where God tells us exactly how he feels about babies, um, about human beings formed in his image. And the first one is Jeremiah 1, verse 5, where it tells us that God knows us before he even formed us. They're valuable. Those lives are valuable. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 it outlines how God takes an active role in our creation. 
You know, I let me pull that up real quick because that's it's such a beautiful verse, set of verses rather. And bear with me a moment because Psalms is like a huge book. 138, 13, 30, 139. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of thee. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book in all members were written, which continuing were fast, as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great the sum of them. And I, I read that and I, I can't imagine how people could try to justify anything less. The thing with, I didn't even plan on getting into the abortion thing until later, but we'll, we'll circle back around to other stuff. I, the thing with the abortion stuff is that this has really, um, this is the first thing that's happened since I've been saved where I'm really seeing how very real the um, toxicity of feminist culture and just the secular world has really impacted our culture and our world. And um, it's been, it's been really, really heartbreaking again to use that word it's been heartbreaking to witness because i used to be very like you know pro-choice you know the woman should do what she wants with her body xyz because it sounds like the compassionate perspective like it, saying that out loud like oh a woman should have the the right to choose oh okay that sounds like it really makes sense the thing is it's not your body anymore it's there's a life there the, and and for me to say that is not christian it's it's actually just scientifically true it, it's alive that the that baby is alive in the womb now to take it from the biblical perspective a an unborn child is the first person that actually acknowledged the presence of christ because you know the baby left in the womb when Mary was in, was there, that was it was the first person to praise the Lord, an unborn baby, because it leapt in the womb because it could, <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, that's from a biblical perspective where because I do see a lot of Christians that are very silent on this topic because it's so controversial, but I don't see how murder is controversial, but that's like from a Christian, how can as a Christian, how can you not? be be just disgusted with this entire thing um secular standpoint um you know we as american citizens were guaranteed to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness you know those are those are our rights but those are pretty hard to do when your mom decides to arbitrarily just like i don't know one shot you in the womb because 
she'd rather make $60,000 a year making PowerPoints instead of raising you. I don't know. But, you know, it's, the whole thing with uh, Roe v. Wade, um, you know, it was it was garbage law to begin with. Um, it There's a lot of misconceptions about it. It never guaranteed the right to abortion. What it did guarantee was a right to privacy. So there's, uh, you know, there's there's that um, actually not to cut you off. It's actually on video as well. And this comes back to a point that I made at the beginning where I said people aren't willing to open their Bible for two hours and see that it exalts women the same way that people aren't willing to do some research and understand what it is they believe in and why they believe in it. You can find on the Internet right now proof that Roe lied about being raped. She admits that she lied about it. So the very law or the very reason that set this law into motion is a fallacy. It's false. It was a lie. And she admitted it herself. So you are standing on the backbone of a lie is what you're doing. Not only murder, but a lie. So it, it's just, and I, and I know we're, we get passionate when we talk about these things, but it's, there's the humanness in us, but it's like, it's just evil. Like you said, it, it is evil works and Satan is laughing at us. You can't even have an honest, like an honest conversation because they, it, it's such a volatile subject that people I've watched people just fly off the handle at the, you know, at the drop of a hat. If you even try to have this conversation with people, like for example, you know, I was in a conversation with a woman who um, she was, losing her mind um because here in the state that i now live in new hampshire um they determined that um you know they it's it is now law that you have abortion is legal up until i believe it's 20 27 weeks you have 27 weeks to figure that out that's like six months and even that wasn't enough for people like you listen to these people talk about it and it's like they talk, they talk about it. Like it's not enough until you're able to just like kill your toddler, you know, like the way that people lose their minds about it. And it just, it makes you wonder where they're at mentally to even, to, to even like draw that conclusion, you know, it's, it's really sick. It really is. And now people are protesting about it in, you know, in states where it will remain legal. So again, you know, people don't have to totally lose their minds about it. Um, but it's just, it's such a, it's such a volatile subject. It you really know, is. You had mentioned that, you know, people want to play on the, the rape and the incest, which for the record, we're not denying how horrific that is or how tragic it is because it is. And people play on that. And the thing is, and this, again, it all ties in together, comes back to women being emotional creatures. The powers that be know the Bible because they know the enemy. They know biblically and just evidentially how emotional we are. We react from our feelings. That's how we operate as women. We, we, we are just we are, we are soft. And so they use that to their advantage and to our disadvantage. They 
like you said, women are being played with the feminist movement and that ties right into abortion. Women are being played. They are using your emotional capacity to literally hold you in the bondage of their ideologies that is ultimately a eugenics project because that's all abortion ever was and still is and also puts money more money in their pockets. So the rape and incest, absolutely horrific. Statistically though, less than 1% of reported abortions come from that. People are using abortion as birth control because they don't want to have a baby. And the, I, the greatest irony with this is that people want choices. They want choices, but they do not want the consequences of those choices. And that comes back to that comes back to just, oh, well, you know what? If I want to wear a spaghetti strap shirt, I should be able to do that because I'm not responsible for some dude looking at me. No, you're not. But the thing is, you want the choice, but you don't want the consequence. You don't want the guy staring at you, but you just want to do what you want because you want to do it because you want to do it. And that's the same thing with abortion. And it is, it's actually so, I just keep using the word heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because the selfishness, it's utterly selfish. And it ties back into this whole concept of worth because inherently it comes down to believing that your worth is totally just wrapped up in yourself and whatever it is you need or want or desire. And that is, that's sad. It's really sad because if that's all you can see is just what's in the mirror, you can't see beyond that mirror, then what are you doing? And and I say that with love because it's, 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 it's like, what are you truly happy is what I'm saying is, are you happy? Because as Alyssa said earlier, how you mentioned that people want to come at you and say that you are, you have internalized misogyny, which is something I used to think about you, even though I always loved you. I would think that to myself, like she's internalized the misogyny because of Christianity. The thing is like, no, <laughs> you're not internalizing misogyny. You are just being honest. And that's how I was raised. I was raised to just look at things objectively and honestly. Objectively don't want people want a consequence free free life is basically that's basically what they want and you know in as far as the topic of abortion goes it's like women forgot that the function of sex is to procreate and then when they get hit with that consequence they're like gotta get rid of that you know and it's it's terrible you know like i think back on what um you know what is what is the bible say you know i you always got to come back to that like what does the bible say about this uh and it says that this could all be really easily avoided if you get married the institution of marriage is wonderful you know like hollywood society everybody they will tell you that marriage is nothing but bondage and that it is just you know it's just something that you do and it's disposable. Um, you know, it's not, it's either not worth it or it's disposable. You know, people will tell you all sorts of things about marriage, but what they fail to realize is that the institution of marriage is one of the greatest protectors of women and children ever. Women wouldn't have to worry about getting pregnant and not knowing what the hell to do about it if they were married, you know, instead, what we get is we get, we get pushed birth control, you know, here's some birth control. So you can just go live a consequence free life. 
And then, you know, if that doesn't work, well, then you can just go to a clinic and continue to live a consequence-free life. But in reality, there are actual consequences to all of those things. There are consequences to birth control, you know? There are consequences to getting an abortion. And that's one of the things that nobody wants to talk about is that having an abortion is one of the psychologically and physiologically worst things that can happen to a woman. It will damage you. It will damage you. It will affect your future fertility. It will affect your mental health. You know, for all of these people who like to say you hate women, you hate women, if you don't support their right to choose, nobody wants to consider what that consequence of that action actually looks like for women who have gone through that. And, you know, as, as a sidebar to that, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, who has gone through that tragedy because it is a tragedy it's not something to laugh about people will tell you that it's like oh you know celebrate your abortions and stuff like that it's ridiculous most women who have gone through that don't want to celebrate that it was a horrible choice that they felt like they had to make and it was one that they made uh you know more often than not feeling like there was no other choice to be made there is forgiveness in that there is forgiveness in that Okay, you know, like, you're not damned for that. But for the woman out there who is considering getting an abortion, you know, there are other options. There just are. You know, there are so many people and so many resources out there willing to help. But, like, it's just it's not the only option. But people will push it like it is. And it's horrible. You know, it's actually it's encouraged even because, you know, that a lot of these businesses now have been these corporations have been announcing that they will actually fund the travel assistance of one of their employers or employees that wants to have an abortion, but they won't extend your maternity leave. So because it's more expensive, it's more expensive to have a woman on maternity leave it is to have them abort their child. So, you know, for all of these people out there who have been basically scammed into thinking that these businesses are being super altruistic and like, you know, uh, they're not, they're out, they're out their own monetary gain. And that's all monetary. And I don't want to get away from this point because I know if I don't mention it, somebody will the ectopic pregnancy thing. You and I talked about this like a week or so ago. And then I just been digging all week on this the laws, Mm -hmm. if any, if anybody, if anybody tries to come at you, this is for anybody listening or watching, if anyone wants to come at you about how these abortion laws are going to endanger women, I want you to make them show you the legislation for that because they can't do it. You know why? Because it doesn't exist because the legislation is clear. The legislation is very clear that this does not include medical emergencies, anything that endangers the mother or the fetus. So mm-hmm. that is, uh, that is, again, it's an emotional, it's, it's a, it's a, a hook and a hook line. It's all it is literally just meant to scare you. And I can tell you, cause I've done the research research on this too. Um, again, less than 1% of abortion cases occur due to medical emergencies. It's not common. 
with all of the technological advancement that we have, you know, we're not, women will let you, they, they'll have you thinking that it's like, you know, we're like living back in the freaking 1700s where, you know, you were like, everybody was just left and right dropping dead from being pregnant. It's not the case. And it's meant to scare people. That's all it is. It's all it is. And I, I just pray that people start to see that. I, but the, in, in lieu of recent events, so if you're listening to this in real time, it's July 2022. And in lieu of these recent events with the Roe v. Wade being overturned, I, I really, really pray that people can start to see that they, that they have those scales removed and they can start to really see all of this for what it is and how it all is just this, this big domino effect. And it's this whole cesspool of just disease of godlessness. And, and that's really what it is. And the fact is, you know, it all does come back to godlessness because those, those heinous people that are responsible for the less than 1% of rape and incest victims that do have those abortions, those heinous people that did that, if they had Christ in their hearts, they wouldn't be out raping people or trying to sleep with their family members. Because when you have Christ on your heart and you're a new creation to sin, especially is something like that's, that's like unfathomable kind of sin that it's not there. It's not on the radar. This is a godlessness issue, all of it, abortion, feminism, fatherlessness, everything. It, it's all godlessness, which is why this podcast will never run out of topics to talk about because everything is a result of godlessness and it's everywhere. And I, I just don't know how people can't see it anymore. I really don't. And how you had mentioned, um, kind of got sidetracked from that point where you're talking about internalized misogyny and people are telling you like, or you're saying you're good and people are saying, no, you're not. It's ironic because again, to compare the, the ways that we grew up and the ways that we have behaved throughout our twenties, I have not been good. Like I've been very, you know, I've been flaunting myself. I've been really, really tempted by the sin of lust and pleasure and just the, the notion of like wanting to sleep around, like really wanting that, really wanting that for myself list. Like this time last year, I was, I was feeling, I was feeling oppressed because I never had a hoe phase. And that was something that I actually said out loud to somebody like to my partner. Um, and I, I think about how that is actually internalized hate, not you sitting there saying, Hey, you know, there's an issue with this kind of stuff. No internalized hate is the woman who wants to actually use her body to feel something from, from a dude to, to feel something from attention, to feel something at all. That is somebody who hates herself and it's disguised as self-love. Somebody that gets an abortion, that's not an act of self-love. Like, can we just be really real about that? That's not an act of self-love. It's a desperate, desperate attempt to, to make yourself whole. And that's all this is, all of it. That's uh, on the whole phase thing. Um, you are certainly not the only woman to ever uh, express the, that desire, which I, to this day, I, I don't really know 
where that comes from. I, I've, I've also had other friends of mine go, you know, like they'll get out of a relationship with someone and they're like, yeah, I should, uh, I should go through a whole fa- like a whole phase. And I'm like, why? Like who said, said who, <laughs> where does that come from? Where does that come from? And it's, you know, we're the sex in the city generation. We grew up, um, with this idea pushed on us that like sex has no consequences. Um, and are that, you know, that women are just like men and that, you know, like we can just go out and just sleep with whoever we want, whenever we want, however many people that we want. And there's just going to be zero consequences to that. And nothing can be further from the truth. And it's sad that women find that out like later on in life. You know, I, I'm seeing a trend now in articles where um, uh, women now who are reaching their like mid to late thirties are realizing that like, oh my gosh, uh, I basically wasted all of my twenties um, partying and, you know, just being a slave to my own desires. And now I'm like in my thirties, all I have is my cat, my career, and nobody wants to marry me because you know, you're in your late thirties. And at that point, it's like, things get a little bit harder for women, which, you know, that's another thing that women have been lied to about, um, our biological clock hitting the wall. That can be a whole other conversation if you want to go into that. Um, but yeah. And, and who is the most miserable demographic in the West? It's women and they've docked. You can go on, Google it like the most miserable demographic of women or of people in the West is women because like women are the majority of people who are on antidepressants. Um, They're on, they're the majority of people who are taking sleeping pills, Uh, you know, like all of this stuff. And where does that come from? Comes from a lack of God. It comes from a lack of guidance it's simple as that. It really is. Like it, it, it is, it is that simple. And um, it is just, it really is. It's heartbreaking. I keep saying that, but it's, it's heartbreaking to just see this because I was in it too. You know, I, I really, I I'm feeling what you mentioned actually recently and I'm 28, but I'm, I'm feeling like I wasted like 10 years, just putzing around, just being a goddess. Like I I know I I was never a goddess. I was, I was a lost girl who needed God desperately. And I always wonder what would have happened if I had found God 10 years ago, as opposed to now, because I can only imagine what a better place I'd be. I, what better place I would be in. And again, that's not to say I have regrets, can't change anything. This is all God's plan. I'm very grateful that he left the 99 to come after me for some reason. Um, but it's, it's, it's what you said. It, it, there's a reality to that, that people don't talk about that, that feeling of, oh, I actually really want those things for myself. I want a family. I want to just be, I want to be monogam- a monogamist. Like I want to just be a woman that yeah. funny enough 
is described in the Bible. And even actually, you mentioned sex in the city, the, the creator of sex in the city actually said that recently that she regrets. Oh yeah. Isn't that insane? Yeah, I know. It's, it's wild. You know, she, she came out and she said that she regretted all of it. She regretted living that lifestyle that she, uh, you know, that she, that she pushed because in the end it was self-destructive, you know, like sin, sin is wrapped up in that pretty package like that. You know, it's like, you know, it, it could feel good in the moment. It feels good temporarily. Um, but it leaves you, it leaves you a wreck. It really does. Um, and so it's this whole like lifestyle is pushed on women where it's like, you know, your young twenties is that that's that time of your life where you like, you're a goddess, you know, like you are, your, your ultimate goal is to be desired. Um, and your ultimate goal is to just, just pursue self-pleasure, you know? Um, I know, you know, you've, you've talked about that a lot, um, you know, having experience in the new age where the new age movement really, uh, it, it really pushes that, you know, like living your own personal truth, um, you know, living your own, you know, being a goddess, being, uh, you know, deifying yourself, you know, and now we live in such a gynocentric society uh, that women find themselves older hitting that wall and lit and not knowing what hit them because nobody ever told them that we have this window of opportunity and then it closes and people will say, well, that's unfair. Like, you know, like what about men? And I can tell you that men go through that same exact thing just in a different way. So like women start out with value. Like we start out, well, you know, to be very, um, you know, it's just to speak in very plain terms. We start out with sexual value, you know, in the market, in the sexual marketplace, you know, up into like up in our twenties and everything like that. Like we have immense sexual value, whereas men start out worthless and have to work their way up. And it's just, it's, we go through the same thing, just in a different time frame and in a different way. You know, it's like, you get these women out there who like, you'll see them in memes all the time. Like they make jokes about them all the time where it's like, you know, the woman who is, she's got like five kids from like five different dudes. And she put out a Tinder profile where she's like, well, I'm looking for a dude who's like six six two um he makes x amount of money and he drives this kind of car right and it's like ma'am you like five whole people came out of you <laughs> like that's not how that works you know and, but then you get women who will look at guys who are broke and they have nothing to their name and they have nothing going for them and they're not successful they haven't conquered anything and they're like Ew, I want nothing to do with you. So it goes both ways. But men are told that. Men understand that. Women don't understand that because we've been lied to by this, you know, we're the sex in the city generation. You can have it all, you can do it all, and you've got all the time in the world. And then reality kicks in. And suddenly women are like, oh. I'm in my late thirties 
and dudes are looking to marry women in their 20s. So that's kind of just the harsh reality of that. But it's a reality that women need to be made aware of so they don't make these mistakes and waste their lives. Because you see so much of it. They're just, it, women are just wasting their precious time and their precious lives. And it just, it makes people miserable. It really does. So bottom line is, biblical womanhood it's peak womanhood and it's not because and it's not oppressive to exist within those boundaries to follow that guideline it's what's going to give you happiness and freedom i'm 28 years old and i'm married and that's like all i ever wanted to be you know i wanted to be a wife i wanted to be a mom and i'm so blessed because I followed that outline, how to be a good woman, how to be a biblical woman, how to attract a good God-fearing man. And I did it. And I had my parents to thank for that. But more than that, I had God to thank for that. Amen. And that's exactly to the point of the beginning of the episode where I said, Alyssa is the kind of woman that I, I is where I want to be in life and where I really believe that all women want to be and us speaking on this truth of how women, when they're older, come to realize that they've wasted their time is, is evidence to that. And that's even goes back to that conversation I had my mom in the shoe store. Same thing with her. She, she gets that, you know, she's, um, if I told my mom's age on my podcast, she would wring my neck, but she is at an age where she's experiencing that very harshly. And it's not because she missed her window to have children, obviously, but she feels like she missed her window to really have like a healthy nuclear family. And there might be truth to that, you know, um, but it's the harsh reality of what a life bred and breathed with Christ looks like versus one that does not. And that's the crux of everything. And um, I, I, I mean, I wish, I wish I had been raised that way, but that's now why I have become, I've become obsessed with wanting to raise kids within that, um, within those guidelines, because this world, like you said earlier, is so dysfunctional. And the most important responsibility of a parent is to raise functional people in a world that is dysfunction. And that is Christ. He is function. Yes. He is order. And that's what we need to bring our kids up into. They don't need to be, they don't need to be read to by drag queens. They need to understand biblical context. And the thing is, I know a lot of what we may have said on here could sound offensive or sound mean, but I don't care about being offensive as much as I care about speaking what is true. And so that's, that's just what it is. Great words of Ben Shapiro. Facts don't care about your feelings and they don't, they just don't, you know, there's, there's a proper way to live and there's a, there's a proper way to find yourself in ruin, you know? And And there's an irony to it. Sorry to cut you there, but there's an irony to it. Would you agree that we say, we hear that it's oppressive, it's oppressive, it's oppressive, it's oppressive, but it's like, what could be more oppressive than actually 
feeling like such a slave to your addictions, feeling like such a slave to your sins. Like me, for instance, feeling like I was literally out of control to the point where I felt like I needed to get a new job because I couldn't control my temptation of lust. That is oppression to feel like you can't control yourself. And that's exactly what feminist culture is. It actually promotes the act of being out of control and then paints it as you're in control by acting out of control. So could you talk about self-control for a little bit and what that really means and what that looks like and why it is actually liberating? Yes. Um, I will absolutely use myself as an example. Um, and I will, I'll, I'll go back to the whole phase, you know, this, uh, this whole idea that like, you need to go out and you need to sleep with a whole bunch of people. And like, that has no consequence. And, um, when it does, uh, you know, I was raised, you know, like my mom told me all of this stuff. She was very candid, very open about how that can lead to destruction and also how that can make you, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a harsh truth and it, and it sounds so strange to say that in, to say this rather in, you know, in our society, which is very feminist. Um, but as a woman, uh, the very hard truth is that if you, if you go out and you do that, you limit, uh, you limit yourself to, you know, with the type of men that you actually want to end up with in a functional marriage, you, you limit yourself because a man is going to look at you and see that aspect of your life and go, she would not make a good wife. Why? Because she has no self-control, you know, and that's risky. That's risky because especially in this day and age where you have faultless divorce, um, where, you know, a woman can take a man to court, divorce him, and then just like take half his shit uh, and the kids. Like no man wants to gamble on that. You know, that's, that's a hard truth. It just, it just is, you know, in the same way that women don't want broke dudes who are, you know, uh, who have all these different vices and stuff like that. Um, you know, men also don't want that kind of thing in, in women, you know, we hold each other to certain standards, you know, there, there are consequences to those, you know, to breaking that standard. Another quick pause in this episode to ask that if you do feel called to do so, please consider donating to the Heaven and Healing podcast ministry where 100% of the proceeds do go directly to supporting and maintaining this podcast. The link for that is in the show notes, or you can find the link for the donation box in my bio. God bless. And thank you so much if you do donate. So yeah, we've talked about a lot and I totally agree with you. Everything that you just said about how we hold each other to standards and that's not, that's not cruel or unusual. That's honestly just like the condition of being human. And it goes back to what we said at the beginning about boundaries it's the same thing with the standards that we hold in relationships. And I always like to kind of relate that just like as a sidebar, I like to relate that to how God has standards as well, because we always talk about like unconditional love and blah, 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 acceptance. But 
unconditional love is not unconditional tolerance. Like the same way you want to like approve of your partner, no matter how much you love them, just honestly, like letting themselves go, like quitting their job and just loafing on the couch all day long. Like that's not something that you can tolerate from someone that you expect to provide for you. Absolutely not. So it's, that's, you know, obviously much different parameters because it's God, but God holds standards as well. And that's why the Bible has such boundaries. Um, yeah. And to hold those boundaries requires self-control. And I think that was what we were, uh, we were discussing earlier is that, you know, this, uh, this whole idea of self-control and, and what that means and what that looks like uh, when you implement that in your life properly. And um, yeah, and that's when I had, uh, I had brought up the hoe phase, you know, um, wanting to be a slave to our sexual desires and things like that, as opposed to um, doing what God commands us, which is to hold that sacred and to hold that aside, set it aside for the person who is going to be your spouse. And I, know, I lost you again and I can't see you. I know my screen went black, but it's okay. <laughs> just keep talking. We'll start. I'm just going to take this as a sign to wrap up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll just uh, go on. Um, but yeah, so that's why the institution of marriage uh, protects that. You know, that way you can uh, kind of, you get to let loose in that way, uh, but within marriage, within a boundary. And that requires that self-control, you know, to be able to do that. So, um, uh, that's, that's the best, that's the best example of self-control that I've used in my life and where it has, where it's gotten me now. I'm, you know, like, like I said before, like I'm 28 and I'm married to the most wonderful God fearing man. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, like this i could go on but um but yeah I th- that's i think um i uh, you definitely are married to like an incredible god-fearing man and just for some context every man and i've said this to Alyssa a bunch of times every guy that Alyssa has been with over the past i don't know 10 years or so since she started dating mm-hmm. i hated i hated every boyfriend she ever had oh, like the worst they were the worst. They were weird. They were just not, they weren't, I, I don't know how to explain it. Normal people. I'm sorry, Alyssa. I don't know how, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you were doing, but, <laughs> no, um, but you know what? that's, and I'll bring that back to having a father in the home because that's a perfect example of why that is so important because I cannot imagine where I would be in my life if I didn't have a father to sit me down and go, Alyssa, what the actual hell are you doing with these dudes? Okay. To speak that hard truth into my life, to set that boundary for me, to show me and give me an example of what a good and godly man looks like. So I can see what one does not look like, you know, cause like I think back to the dudes that I've dated before and, you know, like it's, it's, it's really weren't all that many. It was like three, like three dudes. I don't know. Either way, you know, I would, I would see some aspects uh, of what I thought was, uh, you know, of, of good qualities that I thought were in them. And it was so important to have a father who could go, mm, no, 
that's not it. And then I, you know, then I'm able to look at that from that perspective and go, oh yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. That's, that ain't it chief. That definitely ain't it. And so having that guidance, this is where I'm at today. That was a sidebar. Where were we going with that? Well, I was going on that same path where I was yeah. going to compliment your marriage because I, I do really, I love your husband. I'm so glad that's the person you ended up with. And you guys are like, I always say mom and dad, but you're like the example <laughs> of what you are just biblically sound through and through. And again, you're everything that I want to be like, you're down to the relationship because it's, it's God fearing and it's beautiful. And it's, I used to think that it was like, you know, that true love and true relationships and the best kinds of relationships were always like flourishing. Just if you were just doing your own thing, but now I see the big picture and I see that order that we keep talking about. I see God's order and I see it's necessity in a relationship because we are is just to con- now at this point we're repeating ourselves, but we're emotional beings. We are emotional beings, and that requires that requires some sort of leader within the dynamic. And I so clearly see now how headship is necessary. Why men need to be really the head of the household, and that it's not an oppressive thing. It actually allows the woman to be her full ex- her full self because she can be feminine and she can be soft and she can be the nurturer and all of the things that women are biologically and biblically designed to be and it comes from a man who allows her to be that who allows her to flourish within those parameters and that comes from him flourishing within the parameters that God gives him as opposed to just flailing around trying to figure it out by himself. And then he doesn't trust himself. So then his woman doesn't trust him. And then it creates all this dysfunction within the relationship. And then people wonder why the divorce rate is 50%. Like you said, it's because there is no God, man, woman, children. It's like God and woman and child. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. arbitrary. Like you keep saying. Right. And you know what, that's, you know, I'll go back to the whole idea that, um, you know, feminism believes that the, uh, the biblical relationship between a man and a woman is oppressive. You know, it's not just the woman who is held to certain standards. You know, God places a heavy, heavy burden on men. I mean, like, the heaviest burden. You know, God does not call women to love their husbands as Christ loved the church. He calls men to that. And that entails such sacrifice and such self-control and such strength to be able to do that. You know, women don't realize how much of a burden on men that is. And so when we think about, you know, when we're in our little selfish modes and we're thinking, well, uh, okay, I have to, you know, the Bible calls me to be submissive to my husband. And again, and I'm going to put a little, I'm going to explain that, what that means and what it doesn't mean in a moment. But, you know, to be submissive to my husband, you know, uh, that's, that's nothing but just setting my ego aside. A little bit. That's all that requires of me is to set my ego aside a little bit in some instances, you know, whereas men, you know, having the, the burden of that leadership um, are called to just to sacrifice 
so much more, you know, the, the burden that my husband has to provide not only for me, but for children as well is, is immense, you know, like men, my God, you know, think about the jobs that men have had and have to have throughout history. You know, I, I think of my father and the way that my father provided for my mom and for my brother and I, you know, he's a, he's a firefighter in the city of Philadelphia. You know, that man has seen his life flash before his eyes more times than I can count, more times than he's even cared to tell us because of how stressful and scary that is. You know, men putting their lives on the line for their wives, for their children, all just to provide. You know, I, my own husband who busts his rear end, you know, providing for me and providing, building um, the foundations for us to have a family that requires so much sacrifice mentally, physically. Uh, it's just, there's such a burden on them. And for women to, I mean, for, for lack of a, for women to bitch about that, it, it's not fair. It really isn't. It's not fair. But, and um, this feminist culture has certainly done a really good job at uh, demonizing men yes. in that aspect. <clears throat> and that's something that we don't talk about is there is an actual burden on men. And, you know, for a man to have all of this responsibility and for him to not know God, he doesn't understand why he feels all this pressure it's because he's not putting it on christ where it belongs right. he's just trying to use all of it for himself and then you have that coupled with a world that is that is telling the man that the woman doesn't need him that yeah. you can do it all on your own so we have these men that don't know god and they don't know their place because they don't know god and because the world is telling them that they don't have a place because yeah. women who run the world like you know beyonce like yeah. It's it's actually like men are really victimized within this culture, within feminism, especially. And yeah. people, if you say that, it's like people want to, you know, wag their finger at you and say, how dare you say that? Men haven't made, but they no, No, they don't. They don't. We are all actually made equal in the image of God. It's just that, you know, we're equal in we're, we're equal in purpose, but we are like different of purpose. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, well, no. Um, so there's a uh, there's a word there's a term for that. It's complementarianism. You know, this idea that, um, or rather, this biblical idea that men and women we complement each other. You know, we have equal worth, but different roles. You know, um, you know that we are not we are not equal in every sense. In that, like you know, we, there, there are many differences between us, you know, there are biological differences between us. There are, um, even like physiological differences between us, mental differences between us, you know, we've touched on this, uh, women tend to be more, the more emotional of, um, we, we just, we tend to be more emotional and that's not a bad thing. Actually, there's a function to that. And it comes into play in raising children. Whereas, you know, men are just, men are just built of different stuff, you know, and they're built and the stuff that they're built 
of, you know, that's, that's what's required for them to go out and do the hard thing to conquer uh, what needs to be conquered in order to provide for his family. And that is what gives men purpose. Men thrive, men in healthy relationships thrive in that. And in turn, their wives, they thrive. And if their wives are thriving, then their children are thriving. And that is what builds that healthy family relationship. It's, it's such a simple equation. And yet we have just, we've trashed it. We've trashed it. And now it's everybody, nobody wants to talk about gender roles. Nobody wants to talk about how, um, how effective they are. Um, people just kind of want to complain and, now, you know, the family unit is just completely busted. And this is what we've got. We've got fatherlessness. We've got crime. We've got young men who are, uh, you know, they're, they're going nuts, you know, like I'm going to sidetrack a little bit. Cause this just came to mind. Um, uh, these young men who have literally gone off the deep end and, you know, committed heinous crimes like mass shootings and things like that. You know, what is the common denominator in all of these instances? It's young men who are fatherless. They are directionless. They are just floundering in life and they become nihilistic. And what happens? They turn to violence. You know, these are the results of stepping outside of God's order is that you get chaos and that chaos manifests itself in the world in horrible, horrible ways. And so, yeah, um, order of operations, it's really freaking important. It really is. Um, and it doesn't marginalize women to like any second class status at all. Oh, that's, no. It's really the most important, important point to get across. Um, also, I don't know how we got like over an hour and a half into this without even touching on that idea of submission. That's yeah. crazy. Like, I can't believe we forgot that. But yeah, um, as we wrap up here, the whole concept of submission, people have like an issue with that. And that's another talking point of how people will say that the Bible is oppressive because, oh, you have to submit to the man. You have to submit to your husband. But again, it just comes back to everything we're saying. It's not it's not like a, it's not like you get married and just leave your, your capability of thought or of reason or of no. decision-making at the altar. That's not what it is. A marriage is a sacred covenant and it's a lot less about staying in love than it is about honoring the covenant, which is another talk for another day. But, oh. you know, it's not about losing yourself. It's about oh. uniting yourself to another when you get married and submitting to that order you're submitting yes. to the order it's not submitting to the man it's submitting to the order of yes. god there is um you know there is that order of operations men husbands submit to the lord women submit to their husbands you know there is there's submission that's that's uh that's taking place um in on both sides. And, you know, when you say the word submission, um, 
people tend to think that that's they they tend to have like a like they kind of cringe you know like it's there's like a cringe kind of reaction that's happening like there's like a negative connotation to um to the word um when really uh you know submission is a beautiful thing it is a it is a dying to self you know like I think of, um, you know, there's, there's a, I, I can't remember. I'm so bad at remembering like what Bible verses is, is, is in what book, because I have like so many of them just kind of like floating around up in my head. But, you know, like when Jesus calls us to pick up our cross daily, you know, to die to ourselves, you know, that's, that is an act of, that's an act of love, you know, but it also, it's, it's what allows us to live in that in that freedom, you know? So like, for example, um, you know, in the sense that women are called to submit to their husbands, um, you know, we'll go, we'll go back to this again. Oftentimes women are, we're, we can be very emotional creatures. We just really can, you know, like if I wake up in the morning and I didn't sleep well and I didn't have my coffee and I'm losing my mind a little bit and I have my husband to, you know, I'm to, just calm me down to sit me down and to speak sense and to speak truth into my life, you know, to be able to submit to that wisdom, you know, to reorient myself, to get myself back on track with the help of my husband is an invaluable gift. It keeps people functional. It keeps people healthy. You know, it keeps people in a correct state of mind, you know, submission is not slavery. Okay. Like we get this idea from feminism that submission is, is like slavery, you know, like it's like, you know, women get married and suddenly they have to submit to their husbands. And so that means that they're not allowed to have a voice in anything. They're not allowed to have an opinion on anything. They're not allowed to have any kind of freedom. They're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z. And that's not, the case, you know, it's not the case at all. You know, we submit in many aspects of our lives. We submit in jobs. A lot of people don't want to talk about that. You know, there's submission in, in doing a job for someone being in a job. You know, you have things that are expected of you. Um, your boss tells you that you need to do something and what do you do? You submit to that. You follow that and you get it done. And it's That's funny. The and then, but, you know, but when you put that in the context of a marriage, suddenly it's like filthy and, and horrible. Right. Like, it's just, it's so hypocritical. It's not even funny. And just in general, when people say that they don't want to submit to God, like, Aside from the marriage thing, people say they don't want to submit to God. They don't want to, they don't want anything to tell them what to do. They don't want to follow a manual, AKA the Bible. They don't want to follow rules. The thing is though, exactly what you said, you're always submitting to something. You don't want to submit to the Lord, your creator, but you don't submit to your boss that says you can't go on vacation next week because you have to work. And that's fine because it's secular because it's tangible and it's in front of you, but that's an entirely different conversation. Um, But it goes along with what we're talking about, you know, like it, the idea of, of submitting, just follow, you know, submitting to someone else's will, 
you know, and also, you know, like people have bad ideas all the time, right? Like, um, I, I have bad ideas a lot. Okay. And that it's, it's really nice. And it's very helpful to be able to go to the man, my husband, who I love and who I trust, um, and talk about that decision that I want to make and having somebody who is looking at that from a logical standpoint, but also a standpoint of love and having my own best interest in mind to go, yeah, that's dumb. Don't do that. You know, obviously in kinder words, <laughs> but you know, and also with the same thing and also with the, you know, the reason you trust that wisdom is because you know that he trusts God. Yes. He has a biblical foundation from which that decision came from. Right. And so long way around the barn. Here we are again saying nuclear families, biblical foundations for the nuclear family is marriages the world would be flourishing right now. It would be. We, we could conquer. We could conquer so much. And yet, uh, you know, the enemy is out there just wrecking things in any way, shape, and form that he can. You know, that's, that's the sad reality of it is that nothing, we live in this fallen world and it, it's not going to be perfect until Jesus Christ himself comes back. And, um, in the meantime, uh, we're fighting a spiritual battle against a force that doesn't want marriages to thrive. He doesn't want, uh, you know, families to stay together. He wants to break families. He wants to break marriages. He wants children to go astray. He wants fathers to abuse their wives and abuse their children and mothers to abuse their husbands and abuse their children. And it's, it's, it's just, it's tragic. You know, I, I think about um, when, right before I got married, um, I went through, uh, you know, the pastor who married Matt and I, my husband, uh, he said that he would marry us only if we went through um, some marriage counseling with him. And I thought, well, okay, you know, what, what could it hurt? Um, you know, at the time, of course, like Matt and I were already, uh, you know, we were both Christians. Um, so obviously we knew we, what we were getting into, but throughout the course of this marriage counseling, um, this pastor and his wife were able to really open our eyes um, to some of the issues that we could potentially face as a married couple you know, um, which stem from, uh, you know, the enemy wanting to attack our marriage, you know, a lot of people don't think about that, um, going into marriage is that, you know, not only is the world against you, um, or rather not only is Satan against you, but by extension, the world is against you and they're going to do everything that they can to ruin that marriage. And so it's so important to go into a marriage with that biblical foundation because otherwise you are setting yourself up to fail because we're human and we screw up and it's so important to be able to pinpoint and look at the things that could potentially be like totally ruinous and avoid them 100 percent 
we should we'll do a future episode on marriage um oh yeah that's a whole episode yeah whole episodes like six episodes um and we'll definitely have you back on in the future because mm-hmm. we this is my longest episode because you and i can just talk for hours like this forever um is there any like wrap-up thoughts that you have regarding feminism regarding the nuclear family unit that you want to talk about before we um, close? no but you know what um the only thing that i really think that i want to close with is an encouragement for not only you, but also for all of the other women who have just come out of the new age, um, you know, brand new believers in Christ who feel like they have all of this catching up to do and all of this, like, you know, all of this cleaning house to do. Um, It is so important and it is such a testimony, you know, it is such a valuable testimony. Um, to be able to do that and allow people to see that and follow you on that journey. It's incredible. You know, like I, I think about my, you know, myself and the way that I was raised, um, my own faith journey um, of being a Christian, you know, my journey and my, it's, it's so much different than yours. You know, like I don't have the testimony that you have. You're able to reach people in a way that, I might not be able to because of what you've gone through and God will use that. He is using that. And the evidence of that is this podcast. And so I just want to encourage you and to all of the other women, men, women, you know, whoever's watching, um, no matter where you're at, God is going to use where you're at and where you were for his glory. And it's not too late for that. It's never too late for that. Well, thank you so much. Um, Before we get out of here, would you please close us out in a prayer? Sure. Oh, I would love to. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity that I had to come onto Angela's podcast, Lord, to just take part in this amazing, amazing testimony, Lord, this amazing... um, just this amazing thing that she's doing, Lord, that you are that you are using in order to reach a whole group of people who are just, they're so thirsty and they are so hungry for you, Lord. God, I pray that you just continue to bless this podcast, bless this ministry that Angela is taking part in, and bless other people who are in a similar ministry, Lord, that they'll be able to use this to just reach people who are just, they're, who are just hungry and and just aching for you, Lord. Um, And in your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes. I can't wait to do this again.